Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. We are in our series of Sunday School lessons. This one's going to be presented on April the 10th, Palm Sunday. I guess we probably should have used that story, but um, we didn't. We're going to kind of continue in our series and uh, magnify Jesus. That's the bottom line, isn't it? And teach the Word of God. And uh, we've been talking about the uh, miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this one is one where Jesus shows his authority and his power. And he's going to confront a demon-possessed person. Actually, there were two of them, and only one is focused on, though. And so far, we've seen Jesus show his power in turning water into wine. You remember that? And healing a nobleman's son and calming the sea. And uh, now we're going to see his power over the devil and over demons. So when you, when you think about these things, Jesus can make wine out of water. Nobody else could do that. We think about Jesus as he has authority over sickness. And then we saw that he had authority over the winds and the waves, over nature. No wonder they were saying, what, what kind of person is this? I think King James says, what manner of man is this? And uh, that's really what it means. What, what kind of a person is this that he can do these things? Well, the plot kind of thickens as we move along. We're going to be looking uh, this week instead of in John, like we have been, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 8, 28 through 34. And uh, we look at this, and all of these things point to one thing. This, this person, Jesus, is unlike any other man, but it does more than that. It doesn't just point out his differences. It points out who he really is, his identity, that he is the Son of God. And uh, it, that's the only explanation for having authority over death, disease, and even over uh, nature. Now we're going to see that he is Lord even over the devil and his demons. Do not ever let your concept of warfare or your theology of warfare ever put the devil in control or ever make it seem like if you don't do your warfare, then somehow God is hindered because he is the sovereign one and uh, he is the one who does his will and does his way in spite of the devil. And the devil doesn't stop him. He may try, but he doesn't stop him. And his will is certainly not dependent upon how faithful we are. This is all about him. And we've got to uh, magnify Christ in our own lives, much less in the eyes of the world. So let's uh, take our Bibles, please. And let's go to Matthew 8, 28 through 34. Matthew 8.28. When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, okay, I'm used to saying Gadarenes, as it does in another place, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? <clears throat> now a good way off from them, 
there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away, <coughs> pardon me, into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away to the sit into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. Okay, an interesting, fascinating story with some things that are uh, a little strange. What in the world uh, is anyone doing keeping pigs in a Jewish area? That doesn't seem quite right. Would there be a market for pigs in that area? I mean, they're not going to eat bacon or pork chops or anything like that. They're not going to use the skin to make leather or anything like that. A pig is an unclean animal. And so uh, uh, that is something that's um, kind of interesting if you, if you think about it. And yet there's a lot of them here. wonder what they were doing there. When you uh, think about the fact that Matthew says there were two demon-possessed men, but in the uh, other Gospels that talk about this same event, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic Gospels we call them because they uh, sin is a Greek word, S-Y-N, for seen, to see, and, uh, no, pardon me, it means same. And optic is the word for see, okay? And so um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke generally see the same things and tell the same stories. And um, John comes from a kind of a different perspective. Every gospel uh, has, a, has a purpose. Matthew was written for Jews, and so it has a distinctly Jewish bent to it and focuses on Old Testament characters and Old Testament prophecies. Mark is short and sweet. It's written for Romans. And um, Mark was a close associate of the Apostle Peter who was in Rome. And um, he wasn't the first pope, by the way. But nonetheless, he was in Rome. And so short and sweet to the point and it also gives in Mark some explanations that a Jewish person wouldn't need, but a Gentile certainly would. And Luke was written to Greeks, and it's written by a doctor, and its uh, emphasis is a lot on detail and a lot on uh, some of the healing miracles and things like that. And uh, he was writing it to Theophilus, who was a Greek. And so all of them have a different kind of perspective. John is a little bit more universal, written to the world. And um, so he focuses in on different things for different reasons. And each gospel is kind of an evangelistic tract, you might say. And so um, when we look at this, Matthew focuses on two men. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why. And uh, the other two only mention one of the men and that doesn't mean that Mark was saying, no, Matthew's wrong. There really weren't two men. He just focuses in on one of them. And Luke does the same thing. 
And uh, so that is another question that is uh, uh, interesting. And a, a third one would be something like this. How did the demons recognize Jesus? Okay. And why were they so concerned about him coming to torment them? So as we go through this lesson, we'll try to uh, answer those things. First of all, let's talk about this. Where it says that this uh, man, or these men in Matthew, were demon-possessed, let's talk about some indications of demonic activity. People always want to know, is this demonic? Well, sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. They're not involved in every single thing. There are some times when uh, things happen to us and we go, oh, it must be the enemy. It's hard, it's tough, it's depressing, it's tragic, it's interfering with what we had planned. It must be the enemy. Well, sometimes it's not. You remember that uh, back in the book of Genesis, when Jacob was coming back home, he was nervous about meeting up with Esau. And so uh, like the man he was, he sends on his wives and his children and everybody else to go first. And he kind of stays behind to go last into uh, that land. And while he is there, somebody jumps him and Jacob doesn't know who he is. And they get into a fight and they are in a, a wrestling match. And I'm sure to Jacob, it probably seemed it was a fight to the death and he doesn't know who he is. You remember that they wrestle and they wrestle for a long time. And uh, then it's perceived that it's an angel and the angel says, let me go. And Jacob says, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. And so then the angel blesses him and changes his name. And he also touches his hip so that Jacob walked with a limp the rest of his life. And uh, all of that is coming from God, okay? Surprise, surprise, it's God. Now, it doesn't look like God. It doesn't feel like God. It doesn't seem like a godly experience. But the person that is wrestling with Jacob is not the devil and it's not a demon. It's an angel from God. In fact, I believe that it's the Lord Jesus. Now, did God uh, have to wrestle with Jacob? No, he could have just taken him out with a word, right? But he's teaching him something. And he is uh, showing his power during that time. And so God has some ways of sanctifying us. And sometimes he allows demons to attack us, and uh, that would be a fairly common thing. And uh, then other times, it's God that is doing it. And it's God that is closing the doors. It's God that is making the way rough. It is God that is um, stopping us, maybe from doing what we want to do because we're not walking in His will. And uh, so the question is, what does demonic activity look like? Well, I assure you that in spite of maybe some of the similarities you might see that uh, make it hard to tell, there are some that are very, very clear. Now, when we uh, talk about this, remember our verse in verse uh, 28, it says, when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, that there met him two demon-possessed men 
coming out of, notice this, the tombs. That's interesting. They were exceedingly fierce, not just fierce, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And in Mark chapter 5, uh, where it focuses on one of these men, it says in verse 2, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, and he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So if you were to ask me, what, what does demonic activity look like, especially when we're talking about a particular uh, culture, a particular society or something like that. And I think it's fair to say that we are living in times where we're seeing a lot of demonic manifestations, aren't we? Think about this. We could summarize it by saying there's a culture of death. And if you look at the way we live and the way people think right now, there, there's a preoccupation with death and with um, gore and uh, think about violence and crime and murder but you uh, also could think about maybe abortion, the killing of unborn uh, babies in their mother's womb. And so many people don't think anything about that. Just do away with the baby. It's not really anything that very many people agonize over. Culture of death. Think about the suicide rate. Think about all of those kind of things. Think about the rising murder rate, that type of thing. Okay, culture of death, and, and we could probably come up with a hundred more. How about self-destruction? This guy is in the tombs crying out, and what is he doing? He's cutting himself. Have you ever known anyone who was a cutter? I remember a, a young lady came into our church one time, and she wanted to see me, and so uh, <clears throat> I met her in the office, and uh, she, was a, she was a cutter, kind of like this guy. Uh, I don't believe the Holy Spirit leads anybody to cut themselves. There certainly may be mental problems or maybe drug problems or alcohol problems that would do it. And certainly uh, it could be a demonic manifestation as well. Now notice that this uh, description here talks about violence and control. These uh, demon-possessed men were controlling who could come in and who could come out. They were very violent. People were terrified of them. And a culture of fear, violence, that kind of thing, the desire to control other people, to manipulate them. Sometimes it looks uh, ugly like it does in this passage. And other times it, it doesn't look anywhere near as ugly, but it is just the same demonic when you want to be violent or wish the worst for other people or you want to uh, control them. And then we notice just despair and confusion. You know, people don't just walk through tombs and cry out when they're happy. Uh, there, there's something going on here. When you find someone who can't seem to <coughs> get along, pardon me, <coughs> in uh, normal society or anything like that, uh, when words don't make sense and 
uh, these demons were interesting because they didn't want to have Jesus inflict any kind of uh, pain or torture on them, but they sure didn't care uh, anything, you know, or think anything about doing that to th this poor man or to the pigs or anything like that, or think about what that meant to the owner of the pigs, in fact, in those days, or those who were keeping the pigs. Um, this is something that um, you'll find a lot. Uh, I've, I've noticed that uh, there are times when somebody is uh, arrested for some type of a crime. Boy, they're arrogant. They're never going to find me guilty. I'll beat this and all of that type of thing. And then when a jury comes back and says, we find them guilty, you notice a complete uh, difference in their demeanor. And uh, they don't want the death penalty because what will it do to kill another person? And how will it solve the crime or solve the problem? And it's like, well, dude, you didn't think about that when you killed the person that you were uh, robbing or whatever the case may be. And I've always found it interesting that people will march in the streets saying that it's a woman's right to choose. You know, they might as well have a sign that says death to babies if we decide to do it. And yet at the same time, uh, a lot of those same people that oppose abortion uh, are also anti-death penalty. And it seems strange that you would be okay with killing innocent children, but at the same time, you don't want to execute guilty criminals. But I'll get off my soapbox on that. This is all the kind of stuff that we see, isn't it, in our society today. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to kill and to destroy, but I've come that you might have and have it abundantly. And so the thief here, of course, is the devil, and he comes to kill and comes to destroy. This is certainly true in the lives of these men in Matthew, and it's certainly true of uh, things that we see in our society today. And it breaks my heart to see it particularly among younger people in our culture. Number two, the awareness demons have. Do they know what's going to happen to them? Do they know what the future is? Well, uh, yes and no. To some degree they do because they show it here. And then to another degree they don't. We have to understand it's God who knows and God who plans the future. And just like, you know, when we talk about ourselves, what do I know about the future? Well, I can tell you what the Bible says and what books like Revelation and other prophetical books might say to give us an idea and a clue, but I don't know when it's going to happen, and I don't even know exactly how it's going to happen. That kind of gets dangerous because we don't fully understand all of that. Well, in the same way, demons are very limited on what they know. Now, they may know more than we do and more than I do. They're very intelligent beings, but uh, they can only know what God allows them to know. They can only know what is brought out. Now, suddenly they cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? How'd they know that? How'd they know that? Well, I'm sure when Jesus was sent to earth, and especially when he was born in Bethlehem, that while most of Israel and, and the vast majority of the world had no idea who he was, you can be sure that demons knew who he was because well, he was their creator. He was their boss. Demons are angels, angelic beings, fallen angels, but they're angels nonetheless. They used to be in heaven. They used to be before the throne of the Most High God, if you can imagine.
And so now this second person of the Godhead, Jesus, whom they used to worship and sing praises to, has now stepped off of his throne and he has emptied himself of all of the rights and privileges of being God and stepped into the womb of a virgin. You think they were not aware of that? I think they probably were. And they were probably aware of Gabriel coming to Mary and uh, also uh, Joseph's angelic encounter and uh, the prophecies of who Jesus was uh, going to be. Not who he was, because he still is, right? But who he was going to be. And I'm sure they heard all of that and they were well aware of it. No wonder they inspired Herod to kill all of the uh, male babies in Bethlehem, two years of age and under. That wasn't done by the Holy Spirit. That was done by the demons of hell. And so uh, they knew, what have we to do with you? And the answer, of course, is nothing. You're wicked, demons. Jesus is holy. You are limited in your power. Jesus is unlimited in his power. You're going to hell to spend an eternity in the lake of fire. Jesus is going to continue to rule and reign and to overtake the earth and create it back to new heaven and a new earth and to redeem people and bring them to heaven in spite of you. What have we to do with you? Nothing, nothing. And then they uh, get it right when they say, you son of God. Uh, the Bible says elsewhere in the New Testament, even the demons believe and tremble. Well, this is a case of where they, we see their belief and we also see their trembling too. And they go on to ask the question, have you come to torment us before the time? See, they were well aware that there is a time when it's all going to be over for them. There is a time when they are going to be judged. There is a time when they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, they are not going to be in hell to torment people. You know, uh, if you watch cartoons like I did, little devils walking around in hell poking people with pitchforks. Um, nothing but mythology, nothing but mythology. Jesus said that the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. <clears throat> and so when you think about that, who is going to be tormented the most? Well, the devil and his demons are going to be. And this is what they saw when they encountered Jesus and they, know, they knew who he was. And they uh, say to him, are you, have you come to torment us before their time? Boy, they know they're going to get it. And somebody said one time, next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Well, they know their future. And uh, this is going to be an amazing, amazing thing for us to experience when the devil gets what he has coming and uh, perfect justice is uh, given out to him. So they know the truth about themselves and they know the truth about Jesus and they know the truth about their future judgment. Thirdly, let's talk about the great contrast. The demon said, what have we to do with you? Well, that is uh, uh, a good question. Good question. And we need to make sure that we know the difference. Scripture says, Now a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And when they had 
come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place um, into the sea and perished in the water. So let's think about what we see in this story about the two. What do you see about Jesus? Well, the thing that we see is he comes to be a savior. He comes to be a liberator. Even for demon-possessed people like uh, the ones that are mentioned in this story. He liberated them. They were set free. They are later seen clothed and in their right mind. In fact, one of them even wants to become a uh, full-time follower of Jesus. He liberates the captives. Can you praise him for that? Because that's what he did for you. He also gives life. These uh, men running around in the tombs, cutting the, that's no kind of a life. And he brought them back. They got back into society. In fact, he even told them to go back into society, didn't he? And they have peace, and uh, they also have restoration. All of the things that have been stolen from, from them by the enemy have been restored to them now. Their mind is restored. Relationships are going to be restored. Maybe their occupation was going to be restored. They might be welcomed back in home for the first time in uh, who knows how long. There may be friendships that were restored. Um, who knows? Who knows? Think about it. So this is Jesus, and he is the one who has absolute authority. Nobody tells him what to do. He determines what is going to be done. And when he does submit to any kind of authority, like to Pilate, remember he said, no one takes my life from me, I lay it down. He was in perfect control even then, in the future and certainly now. Now think about this. Demons we see in here, they have limited power and authority. Boy, they can wreak havoc over the, uh, the men who were in the tombs, but they couldn't do anything about Jesus, could they? And they couldn't do anything to stop him or to thwart his plans or anything like that at all. And their power is limited. And we see this in here. Have you come to torment us before the time? See, they knew they didn't have the power to handle Jesus. And they also knew and know that there is coming a time when they're not going to be free to do what they do. They're going to be in the lake of fire forever. And uh, their power is limited and their authority is limited, right? We also see that they have no regard for life. They come to kill, steal, and destroy, right? No regard for life. They don't care. No regard for freedom. In fact, every time they promise freedom, it's really, you know, every time you give in to it, you're putting chains around you. And so uh, people think that they're going to be free because they can do whatever they want to do. Uh, they can't see the consequences, can they? They can't see how things are going to turn out and how terrible they're going to be. And they have no regard even for property. It didn't matter that the swine belonged to somebody, <coughs> that that was their livelihood. That's where they wanted to go. And uh, what did they do when they get into the swine? Immediately destroy them immediately destroy them because they just come to kill, steal, and destroy. And there's a lesson in that for us. Don't ever try to make peace. Don't ever try to compromise because uh, you'll never win as you do that because they are all about destruction. There was confusion. There was heartache and there was despair. What are we going to do? Who is this? What's happening here? 
and uh, that is all demonic. And there was also nudity and antisocial behavior. Um, there's a typo here. Luke 6:27 is what my notes say. I don't know if uh, Lindsay caught that or not in the final print. Should be eight. Luke 8, 27. That'll make a whole lot more sense. And uh, really, it's not a typo. I did it on purpose just to see who was listening to these videos. Anyway, so we've got to understand this, but we're not supposed to despair because they, in whatever they do, they become unwilling servants of a sovereign God. And in this situation, here they are doing something that shows the power and the glory and the majesty of Jesus even further than the other things did. Again, we've seen him as master over nature. We've seen him as master over disease and death and that type of thing. Now we see him as master and Lord over even the powers of darkness, the demons of hell. Okay, number four. Good question here. With whom was the world most comfortable? See, in our minds, we would think everybody would be putting Jesus on their shoulders and carrying him out from that region like you would a winning football coach or something like that and cheering him and all of that. But instead, it says, uh, 33, Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came to meet Jesus. Now, is this going to be like the woman at the well who comes uh, with people saying, come see the man who knew everything about me? Well, let's see. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. Isn't that interesting? This guy that shows so much power, this guy that had done so much in the lives of these men, they say, uh, would you kindly leave? We don't really want you around here, and we don't want your kind around here. Mark 5, 15, it says, And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now we know why they asked him to leave. Jesus scared them to death. Can you imagine? What would you think? Some people say, oh, I wish I had lived in the time of Jesus. I don't, because <coughs> I'm afraid had I lived in the time of Jesus, I probably would have been on the wrong side of everything. <coughs> now, back to the pig thing. Why were there pigs in any number, especially a great herd of swine? This was evidently an area that was, as Galilee was uh, known for, one of the reasons Judeans really didn't like Galileans, it was dominated by Gentiles. This is a Gentile that owned these pigs. This is a Gentile that hired people to watch the pigs. Okay? Sometimes Jews might be hired in a desperate situation to watch the pigs. The prodigal son, remember, was in that situation. But generally, Jews were not going to uh, own or raise or have anything to do with pigs, or it would cause them great trouble in their society and in their um, synagogue. But here we find a situation where the people in the town, and I assume some of them were Jewish, they were more comfortable with Gentiles. Pagan, 
idol-worshiping Gentiles than they were with their Messiah. That's kind of telling, isn't it? They were more comfortable with unclean animals being in their region than they were with their Messiah. You know, we don't like the pigs, but hey, keep them over there in the pen and everything's okay. But, uh, you know, with Jesus, you need to get out of here. You need, you need to leave. They're somewhat comfortable with demonic activity. And I say somewhat because it's kind of clear from the text that uh, some of the people in the area had tried to deal with him and they didn't like hearing him scream and they didn't like him terrifying people and that type of thing. Uh, so somewhat comfortable. In fact, you kind of get the idea they would put up with him more than they would put up with their Messiah, the Son of God who has authority over evil spirits. They're comfortable with uh, not only the demonic activity, but uh, all of the confusion and the despair that's all around them. But for some reason, they are uncomfortable with Jesus. His purity just stands out and makes them look like who they really are, dirty sinners, depraved. The order, he restored order. And the order that he restored when he cast out the demons, and now these guys are right, all that did was point out their inadequacies and the confusion of their lives. How they have to say, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. We've come to the end of ourselves. Well, they don't like somebody coming up and showing them up. They see the morality of Jesus. He brings the law of God, and he fulfills the law of God. That makes people really, really uncomfortable. Your lifestyle of holiness, living for Christ and upholding the Word of God and that affecting your morals and your work ethic and your marriage and your parenting and your recreation and all of that, it makes other people really, really uncomfortable with you just like it did about Jesus. And I think maybe the biggest thing is when they saw the authority that he possessed, they didn't want to have anything to do with it because mankind is a rebel at heart. We don't want to have anyone to have mastery over us. And uh, if somebody can control demons like that, then what's he going to do to us? We don't want anyone to have authority over us. And so the conclusion, let's go to uh, Mark's gospel about this. Chapter 5, verse 15. Mark 5, 15. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Mark chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. And he, Jesus, was getting into the boat. The man who had the demon-possessed, excuse me, and the man who had been possessed with demons, that makes more sense, begged him that he might be with him. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? This demon, formerly demon-possessed man, wants to be with Jesus. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis... How, that means ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This was not so much 
about setting a demon-possessed man free, even though that happened. This is not simply just about restoring order into that land, even though it did. This is about glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ and spreading word about who he is. They're marveling once again. They are in awe of him once again, and his fame is beginning to spread. This Jesus has the authority over evil spirits. Even the evil spirits obey him. So as you go through life and you come in contact with a society that is increasingly showing the signs of demonic activity, don't despair. Just be with Jesus. Live and walk in his power and his might and realize he has everything under control and that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood and uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And that uh, even though we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, we do know this one thing. Jesus is more powerful than all of them combined. And so be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Because you have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in you. And you serve a mighty and a powerful God. Thank you for your time, and I pray the Lord blesses you, and we'll look forward to seeing you again next week. God bless.